The Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. Well, I don't know if I want to get married, but I wouldn't say no to a proper relationship. What is a proper relationship? Living with someone who talks to you after they've bonked you. I don't know what they want from you after a time. What they start off liking you for, they end up hating you for. Don't like you if you're strong, don't like you if you're weak. Hate you if you're clever, hate you if you're stupid. They don't know what they want. Hey everyone, it's another Loose Cannons podcast coming at you. Ooh. 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 <laughs> Got some werewolves on the line this time. Joining me, Ruben, is Patrick and Ilya. Hello, Patrick. I'm here. Hi, Ilya. <laughs> Hello. And we're going to be discussing 1993's Naked, directed by Mike Lee second Mike Lee discussion, but before we do that, let's do this. It's a little segment we like to call Heralds and Denouncements. <laughs> that was the strings from the movie. Yeah. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Magic, do you have anything you'd like to herald or denounce? Um... Oh God, I, I had something. Can't remember what it was now. Uh, I guess not. Not on this podcast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Me too. All right. Um, I'm going to once again herald something that's not a movie. Uh, a couple months ago, actress and uh, dancer Angela Trimber was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. I never heard of her before then, but there was like an Instagram hashtag going around with people who I did follow, like Milena Weintraub and Electro Lemon uh, called a dance for Angela. And so I followed her because of that. And her Instagram over the last two to three months has been just like very emotional and raw and just like very powerful to like watch her be so vulnerable on such a fairly large stage about going through like a very obviously painful and upsetting process. Um, Mm. Most recently she had a video where she was shaving her head like she'd been cutting her hair down and like bits bits by bits to get like prepared for chemo and she had a a video where she was listening to you gotta be um i think desiree yes the name of the band yeah where she was like Mm. shaving her head down to like the final step and like i started crying while i was watching it so Mm. uh yeah it's been i don't know kind of beautiful thing to watch over the last couple months like 
her go through and I'm so she seems like such a cool person to me now I did actually mm. know her from before because I had seen her in the good place but I didn't know her name but uh, yeah who'd she play in the good place the dress bitch <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember her name but Eleanor's roommate nice. who where she right. uh, Eleanor accidentally ruins her dress and then she blames it on the dry cleaners because Eleanor doesn't tell her Mm-hmm. Puts the dry mm-hmm. cleaners out of business and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then they make a bunch of money off of shirts mm-hmm. and say dress bitch on them. <laughs> I'm gonna Harold holding the kid because <laughs> I'm holding the kid right now. That's pretty cool. Wendy, do you want to say something on the podcast? No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> sniff wants, the microphone. Wants to bite something. Sniff the microphone. Um. Yeah. So that's that's all I have to say about that. There's no like deeper meaning to it or anything <laughs> it's just yeah you could also denounce the American healthcare system along with Harolding yeah Angel's handling oh of yeah fuck those guys this was Ilya's pick so why don't you tell us uh, roughly what happens in, in Naked keep it yeah general. speaking of Speaking of Raw, uh, this movie follows a story of a man named Johnny, played by David Thewlis, um, and how him running away from uh, a rape scene um, uh, to somewhere in London, uh, shacking up with an ex-girlfriend and her roommate. And then uh, going through various locations throughout the night and having encounters and conversations with people of usually a pretty dark and morbid nature, as well as another man named uh, Sebastian and uh, or Jeremy, who also follows mostly women around and rapes them, and uh, those two stories intersect at some point. That's like a basic outline of what happens. Okay, I guess it's me first. Uh, Mm -hmm. I like this movie, um, although that's not exactly the appropriate word. Hmm. Uh, I appreciate it. (laughs) Um, Mostly what I thought about when I was watching it is I recently read... Uh, Sydney from Leatherbox's very good review of the new Halloween and how one of the things that it misses about Assault is that most women almost all women don't get to like reshape their entire lives around what happened to them they just have to keep doing their lives and uh, this movie sort of sadly captures that which is that like assault is just like a consistent like white noise of the background of these people's lives and so they just you know they don't they don't get to train for years with swords to attack the killer they just sort of sadly you know just accept it they go to the pub with their friends and be like I hope he's gone when I get back guy who raped me Yep. 
So that's very realistic in a very upsetting mm -hmm. way, which is, I guess, good. <laughs> a good mm -hmm. thing to watch. Yeah. Patrick? Um, I, I didn't like this movie, um, and I th think it's because it spends too much time with Johnny. Like, I kind of wish the movie had been more about the women in the movie than Johnny, because I don't think Johnny's that interesting a character, even though... <clears throat> He's given a lot of things to say that seem to be kind of like, quote unquote, interesting on their face. Um, ultimately, it just ends up sounding like a bunch of claptrap. And I didn't I didn't really care for all his musings about the apocalypse and the, you know, state of human existence or whatever. Uh, I, I was actually more interested in the, the times when it would like show him or and or jeremy slash sebastian interacting with these women because i was like okay this is actually like kind of out there i mean i guess it's not ahead of its time because we did watch thelma and louise on the last podcast and that was like 91 and it got a lot of things right about the i guess the you know sort of like abusive nature of relationships but um I don't know like I like you said the the sort of white noise of everyday life in this is actually kind of fascinating and um yeah I I felt like that stuff was compelling but I didn't care for all of David Thewlis's adventures <laughs> or whatever. Oh. Uh. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, liked this movie too. <laughs> um, I actually think I, as exhausting it was to watch, I think it was good that, or I liked it that Johnny's character kind of grew thinner and thinner over the course of the movie. <laughs> that the things that make him kind of exciting and or interesting in the beginning are things that kind of you grow bored of sort of quickly and then he just keeps talking and keeps like you know bumping into new people that he can like manipulate himself into their life somehow somehow convince all these women that like he's attractive or he's interesting enough um, uh, and yeah at the end like just have nothing at all to contribute to their life or to add to their life except like basically try to make fun of them and embarrass them mm -hmm. in a variety of ways yeah um either through language or through like sexual violence um although i guess to be like a bit blunter the movie kind of contrasts him with Sebastian, whatever, Jeremy's, that guy's more obvious, like, American psycho-ish, yeah. like, strategy consultant from hell, American rapist psycho guy. It's B storyline. I was like, we got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't have to make a yeah, whole movie about it. <laughs> I, I like that a lot of the, like, some reviews of the movie were like, oh, Jeremy Sebastian is such a, like kind of a caricature like have you just met any of these guys there i totally like that that's all they are like 24 7 that's all they are just like these 
I don't want to live okay. past 40. Yeah. I yeah. don't want to be old. <laughs> uh, just really, yeah, gross people. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's good. Like the, I'm not sure wh how much of that again is was like intended. Like this, is my interpretation that it's good that the movie kind of lets Johnny wear out his welcome. Yeah, uh, because otherwise he'd seem like a pretty like interesting, almost like Sorkin-esque <laughs> kind of like it's funny because we talked about Switch Network the other day. The way he just like shoots out like dialogue lines like it's nothing is like pretty. Uh, at least like compelling in the beginning and then like you know you kind of grow tired of it yeah for sure one of the more depressing facts about this movie among many is how much I probably would have liked him like if I was 25 and watching it as opposed yeah, to 35 exactly I would have been like he's got it figured out <laughs> so many dudes <laughs> probably would yeah yeah I just read a review that said that it was like shocking to think that so many people see yeah Johnny is like a brain genius as opposed to a petulant child. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of points that you can take where it's like, oh, he's just like not, he's not actually interesting. He's just kind of like a little bit of a devil's advocate with like some wit uh, is when like he meets Brian, the security guard, who's like kind yeah. of like a genuine person, if like a little bit naive. And then he... Brian has a weird crush on the woman across the way, but like, it's certainly like, maybe you could be like, hey, Brian, you need to go talk to her. This is not normal, healthy behavior. But instead, Johnny's response is to go across the way and make sure that Brian's watching while he mm -hmm. fucks around with her. And she yeah. has a very nice line too, where she says, you don't have to hurt me, which is like the first time that, uh, I don't know, like the way that she says it is like, uh, I don't, like, I don't really care. Like, you don't have to show me that you can control me or whatever. Just do whatever. But mm -hmm. like, you don't have to hurt me. And I was like, mm. also, it's like I, I know you can. Yeah. You just don't have to. Yeah. Like this weird acknowledgement that this is what you can obviously do, and probably something that other people have done. To her, maybe in the past, who knows? Like the way she kind of lets him in is this like weird thing that kind of makes you guess how many times something like that has even happened to her. Maybe um, like what makes her stand around to that window all day. Yeah. It's so it's interesting. Like um, Mike Lee's like method gets you know a lot of attention. How he like gathers all the actors before shooting and has them rehearse for weeks where they kind of make up the most of the dialogue of the movie, which is not just written by him and then performed by the actors, but like made together, created with the actors. And so you kind of get this weird collection of people that is hard to imagine someone just like writing because a lot of them kind of seem to come out of the actor's imagination and like some almost like abstract ideas of people rather than like clear characters with clear arcs or whatever the hell like you usually find like in a screenplay and I think that that woman character is a pretty typical embodiment of something like that right 
hard for me to imagine someone just coming up with that character. Yeah, and I mean, it definitely makes them, in all of his movies, like, every character is distinct. Like, he never, ever suffers from what I like to call, like, Kevin Smith disease, where it just sounds like every character is, like, a slight variant of Kevin Smith's voice talking. Um, You know, so, like, you have a lot of uh, that thing that Basil talks about as being, like, good, good scene writing. I guess if you want to call it writing in this instance, where two people can be having a conversation and they're sort of understanding each other and sort of not. And they're both having the same conversation and having two different conversations at the same time. Yeah. Here's people just seem to talk way past each other for most of the time. Um, And there's like a very clear distinction of like who, how all these people are. Like, it's hard for me to imagine like any one of them necessarily representing like Mike, <laughs> Mike Lee, or them them being like different versions of Mike Lee. Is like most of these people. I mean, most of the men, mostly Johnny and and Jeremy, are like pretty horrible uh, people, um, and. It's like a weird thing, like I'm not sure how to take a lot of like Johnny's philosophizing or whatever, like again, like after a while for me it was mostly tedious Um, and like I said, it can make the argument that it's meant to be that way, but um, he does talk a lot about a lot of stuff (laughs) and like it's hard for me to just like you know, oh, he's just being annoying. Well, why the hell is he like? Do the, he give him like so many lines? Like he's clearly trying to like give him some something to say that's meaningful, at least you know, to the movie in some ways. It's meaningful, and I'm not sure a lot of it is that meaningful, or at least uh, a lot of it she seems to be kind of solipsistic stuff that just doesn't where he just doesn't stop talking. Um, um, yeah, I'm not, not not really sure how to like relate to that. Yeah, there's a, a another phrase that I use is "what if not that," and that's I use it for like a TV shows that like entire premise is like, you know, normally when you go to the store, you drive your car and buy your groceries, and then you come home. But what if not that? <laughs> and that's like the, the entire premise. Like that's essentially like most episodes of The Twilight Zone is this. They're aliens invading Earth, and you're defending yourself. But what if they weren't aliens invading Earth? What if they're human astronauts, and that's a big alien? It just looks like a human. Yeah. What is that? Um, and yeah, like that's a lot of what his intelligence is—is is that he's, you know, perceptive enough to pick up on the normal mores of like a conversation and people's behavior, and therefore is like uh, always challenging people on the I guess expectations but then he doesn't have anything to comment about it he's not like oh these mores are bad for this reason or they work you know as like conversational lubricant that's why we like them or anything like that (laughs) he's just like you know making puns (laughs) yeah like a comedian with not much to say really like He's funny in the moment, and then like it kind of 
the moment passes and you're like, I'm not sure if that added to anything. <laughs> like what he just said, it's just like, like making up stuff on the fly, but like this, in this like almost, maybe it's a lazy way to describe it, like fashionably like nihilist way that I think like people, like maybe guys like TJ Miller or whatever find like really attractive. Um, yeah. Like this guy who just like doesn't give a shit, who can always just like rip through stuff and randomly reference things it's like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Very well read Deadpool. Yeah, I mean that scene. I, with the guy who's putting up posters is very accurate because he's like trying to do his thing which is like you know sort of in the past attracted other people and that guy is like mostly ignoring him and then finally he gets on his nerves enough that he just beats the shit out of him for it would seem like from an outsider perspective no reason but after having watched him for an hour and 45 minutes it like makes perfect sense He's <laughs> yeah. like, well, almost cathartic. That's how you get him to shut up. Yeah. It's weird, like, a movie that this reminded me of uh, was Clockwork Orange. Yeah. I thought that, like, um, either, like, Donnie as a character reminded me of uh, Malcolm McDowell's character in Clockwork Orange, or even the performance reminded me a little bit of Malcolm McDowell's. Mm-hmm. Like, this just, like, always like basically like having this smug face about everything and never being like, like sure. always feeling like you're the, the smartest in every situation and being really casually cruel and enjoying that um, a lot like a lot of that but it brought that movie back here to me. But I'm not sure it's necessarily a very political movie, like the way that Clockwork Orange was. I think no. that this movie is maybe something has things to say about, like, or like seems to have things to say about, like class things. Like Jeremy's character kind of pitched as this like landlord, upper class guy who can just afford to literally walk into people's homes and just occupy them and then like abuse them, like literally. Seems to be like a pretty seems to be getting at some. Last comment. I yeah, guess. there's a comment about how they're on the dole and she has a job, and they're like, "Why would you do that?" And that seems like yeah, <laughs> a little maybe not in my political direction, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. a movie more about, and I guess this is political because you have to fight for this truth, but about sexual violence and violence in general, mm-hmm. and about how men. Yeah just like subsume subsume that as being like a necessary part of their relationship because that's like to me one of the striking things about Johnny in particular is that like a lot of times he's having what seems like a normal sexual encounter and that's not enough for him he's like I want to be chased out of here or something or I want to see how bad I can be to them before though yeah. In a way, his sexual like violence kind of mimics his other like way of like where he starts talking to people and he like feigns to be nice in the beginning or feigns to be interested in them and gives them like the feeling of being wanted or at least like you know 
being curious about them, and then like proceeds to just like very be very brutal about them when just when they get vulnerable, especially like with Sophie, but like pretty much any character he encounters, and then like he starts then like kissing like the women that he's with tenderly, and then just like starts yanking their hair and being very physically brutal with them. Yeah. If I had to guess on this character, I think he has a lot of self-hate. And so like when he gets into this moment, he's like, oh, these people don't really like me. I'll show them how much they don't actually like me. Okay. <laughs> Just that, yeah, I guess it is uh, appropriate that he brings up Nostradamus so much because he talks a lot about self-fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> and that's basically his own self-fulfilling prophecy every time he interacts with someone. It's like... I know they yeah. don't like me and, and they don't care about me. So I'm just going to push that. And I'm going to be like, right. yeah, see, I knew it. I knew that, you know, they didn't really like me It's a the beginning. even more horrible version of that classic male model where they decide that they don't want to date someone anymore. And instead of just breaking up with them, they just become more sad and distant and like passive aggressive to the person until they break up until the woman breaks mm -hmm. up with them <laughs> except for much faster and much more violent yeah that's not a good idea he's a bit of a conspiracy theorist in general in this movie can't stop talking about the bible and like weird uh uh upc codes codes and oh, made yeah, flesh yeah, codes, yeah. <laughs> The barcodes. <laughs> a lot of, I mean, a lot of that is kind of pretty funny because it kind of makes him like the commentary about a guy who just like talks very fast and seems smart is exactly the kind of guy that like it could like is exactly the thing that makes a conspiracy theorist sometimes sound like more interesting or like he's got something more to say than he really does. Yeah. It's a way this that people, is actually uh, well, it's, it's a it's a way that people trick you into believing that they are credible in what they say. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually a biopic about the guy who wrote Videodrome. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the new flesh, the UPC code flesh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tweet somebody made about Videodrome the other day that was really good. I forget I forget what it was. Or it was something that oh I remember what it was. It was um, David Cronen. It was. It just said on the set of Videodrome, David Cronenberg's like, okay, so this is, is a movie about how television can take over your brain and turn you into someone who wants to kill everyone around you. <laughs> it's like James Woods fingering the, the like pussy hole in his chest. He's like, yeah, cool, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what's happened to James Woods at this point. He's a Fox News grandpa. <laughs> Oh, that was pretty funny. It's interesting that Mike Lee could come up with a movie like Happy Go Lucky, which is like the has like a character that is a total contrast to um, the male character in this movie, the main main character in this movie, um, and like contrast him in Happy Go Lucky. Contrast like uh, uh, Sally Hawkinson's character in uh, Happy Go Lucky with her like driving instructor, yeah. who has who's, similar like, qualities. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. But less exactly. Who's just like a Johnny who 
has l- lost the ability to speak and have and be funny. Yeah. Basically, he's just this like gross, sad, miserable, woman hating, paranoid guy, racist, conspiracy, yeah. <laughs> racist, yeah. conspiracy. On top of everything theorizing. else, yeah. <laughs> and that movie, you know, like it's it does show that like you know that movie I'd rather rewatch, of course, because <laughs> it's nicer to spend some time with somebody like Sally Hawkins' character Poppy. than it is with David Thewlis. Yeah, Poppy, right. Um, and I just, you know, I just can't really stomach a guy being around a guy like Johnny for that long. I'm sure other people maybe feel differently. Um, you know, I'm sure that this movie... Some people just want gets... to watch the world burn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you reckon. You reckon. Some people but just I also want think to that watch like... David Flewless and Naked. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that like it's uh, like a character like Poppy is just way more. It's more. In- she's more interesting. She's got a lot more to her, um, uh, even though like her kindness may be, she may seem like one note or surfacey at times during the movie. Um, it's revealed to be like she's able to be much more than that. And I don't know. Johnny never really is like he's kind of like. Weird, sad dude underneath, I yeah. guess. But yeah. that's yeah, kind of it. I think it's partially because Pop. It seems like Poppy would be a nice person to spend time with in real life. Mm-hmm. Like if you were actually around Poppy, you're like, obviously, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Poppy's kind of got it together. Like David Duelist's character in this is, uh, <laughs> he's just horrible, and he also probably stinks because several people comment on that in the movie. <laughs> He also says that he hasn't had a bath. In well, like a he week. says that yeah. to the guy, to <laughs> the like worst gross. security guy. Take a bath, dude. It's like, dude, look, take a look in the mirror. <laughs> like when, he, when he's talking about the body odor of Bruce, like the security yeah. guy. Come on, man. Brian. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, who's that actor that plays Brian? Because he's in another Mike Lee movie, isn't he? I don't know his name. He's in another year, though. That's right. Yeah, I, was, I can It is very believable to imagine that Ryan one... in fifteen years is the character that he plays in another year, even though I don't think it's the same name. But it's just like his name is Peter White. Yeah, he's just like yes. an alcoholic in that movie whose wife has long left him, and it's just like gross and sad, and reaching out for women companionship, but still somehow like not like way more empathetic than other characters in that movie. <laughs> Yeah, he plays the pub landlord. Pub landlord in the Hot Fuzz. <laughs> He's the guy who gives the kids drinks and tries to convince uh, Simon Pegg to let the kids have a uh, have some alcohol. Man, been a long time since I've seen Hot Fuzz. I guess uh, another thing that we could talk about is I think that there are kind of two scenes uh, where. Johnny sort of people finally are getting tired of him. One of them is the one I already mentioned where the guy putting out posters just beats the crap out of him. And the other is the woman that he sort of just like follows home from the cafe. And she's like, unlike the other women, like isn't like really talking to him or flirting with him or having sex with him. She's just treating him like a homeless person who followed her home. So she's like, here's a bed. If you want to sleep, there's a bath. Here's some beans. Yeah. If you want some beans. Um, 
and that's again sort of just like another uh i guess reiteration of the way in which violence is just so taught to men and like packed into it that like she's in a way in a much scarier situation than uh the guy is putting up posters like he's just on the street like he can just walk away um and he's also you know a man yeah uh and she's like kind of locked in her home in a way with this guy when he starts being like do you have a boyfriend like what mm. are you into and she's like get out of my house yeah uh and and and, and also like well i think it cross cuts that with um sebastian slash jeremy yeah. Basically, like walking into the home of um, squatters. Yeah, of um, forgetting their names now. The the two women who live Louise, in Louise, Sophie, Louise and Sophie. Sophie. That's right. Yeah, Sophie. She was on. But yeah, and like it. It that is pretty interesting to me that contrast because Sebastian's just so obviously a dickhead throughout that whole thing, and he's just being kind of outwardly hostile from the very beginning because that's kind of what he's into i guess and you know uh johnny is like trying to be subtle about it but it's still there and it's very interesting to have those two things back to back where you're like these are essentially the same thing they're just going about it in a different way and you know in, in one sense I don't know, like maybe even scarier in the sense of Johnny because he, I guess, I don't know, like, <laughs> God, I, I don't know, like, I, it, it's weird because, like, it, it feels like for some reason they actually know Sebastian because I guess he is with their other roommate, Sandra, the one who's away. Mm-hmm. And so he actually knows her. So, like, they actually have maybe seen him before um but like in the case of johnny he's just coming up to a random person that he met in a shop somewhere (laughs) who's never seen him before and it's just like followed them home and that seems even like weirder and scarier to me honestly well in a way they both represent like uh two things that people are kind of taught to worship like Bastion Jeremy represents like wealth and Johnny in a way represents like I don't know like this like intellectual uh, slash like uh, a guy who doesn't give a fuck like who's just like this free Nietzschean like easy writer spirit yeah sort of a a ne'er-do-well but also like a, a charming rogue I guess and both of those like basically types are just like in a way shown to be just various degrees of manipulative sociopaths um in this movie johnny maybe to a lesser degree yeah i mean sebastian jeremy is just a sociopath there's like nothing redeemable about him at all johnny seems like on the verge of being at least somewhat human at times or like someone who can at least have some exhibit some human qualities yeah. <laughs> and um uh who just like every time chooses like have a a cruel 
way to communicate with someone instead of trying to connect with someone yeah. on a different yeah, level. And I, yeah, I guess maybe that's also what's more upsetting about that to me is that like you can almost see where somebody could be like, yeah, no, I kind of like you. Like sometimes you, you are a good person. Mm. Whereas with Sebastian, you're mm. just like, no, like how could anyone ever like this person? Uh, yeah, so which is why it makes cat. guys like Johnny like so good at what they do is that some people convince themselves that they like them. Yeah, yeah uh, with I'm gonna call him Jeremy because um, that's what his wallet says. But uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I would say that I'm more scared of Jeremy because he has the power because he has wealth. He has the power of institutions behind him, like. He can always do yeah. more damage, but Johnny but probably call the will do more damage because he's so insidious, because he doesn't seem like a threat like to a lot of people up until the moment that he is. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So that he has a seeming, um, like you said, a seemingly human face. Mm. Yeah, and it's also interesting to contrast the violence that the men are doing with the potential violence that the women could do. And even, like, at one point, Luis does, like, pull out a knife on uh, Jeremy. And it's, like, interesting to think about the contrast because, like, what he's doing, like, he probably would not get in trouble for (laughs) with the law at all. And, you know, he can get away with it. And what she's doing, she would get in trouble for. But essentially, they're on. it's like the only way that she can stop him from doing what he's doing is to do what she's going to do with the knife, you know. So it's, I don't know, it, it's weird to think about that, where it's like... Yeah, she also immediately threatens to castrate him. Like, the only way she sees, sees like, an opportunity to, like, really hurt him. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a scene obviously before where Louise and uh, Sophie talk about like calling the cops and they said they decide oh you know who are they going to believe obviously in a very similar scene to Thelma and Louise actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, we, that we talked about um, and it's interesting also that like uh, Sophie and Louise who in the beginning of the movie don't see like kind of it's it's hard to tell like is the movie like making them out to be, you know, maybe dim or whatever, or like kind of like these sad, like these sad women. Um, and then as the movie goes on, uh, they kind of become more interesting. Like they have more depth than even Johnny, who you spend so much time with. Like kind of like Patrick said, um, because they're both like. Partly through the acting, I think they're both like really good actresses, uh, and partly through um, just you know the movie kind of giving them time to develop. At the end of the movie, like Louise is like a pretty full character. Yeah, I mean sure. Louise is probably the moral center of the entire movie, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, which is sad <laughs> because she's still. <laughs> She still fancies Johnny so much. She thinks that like he's, like her, like she, he's her ticket out of there. You know, like she ends up quitting her job and saying that like, come on, come with me. 
Yeah. Um, Going back to Manchester. Yeah, which is sad, but understandable, I guess, on some level. It's hard to be alone. I don't think Mike Lee's movies have individual moral centers, but I think the moral center of the Mike Lee universe is the woman from Secrets and Lies who's looking for uh, her adopted parent, her, her parents, I think, mm-hmm. her dad. I think it's the yeah. plot of that movie. Yeah, she's the moral center of the Mike yeah. Lee universe. <laughs> <laughs> never seen that movie uh, it's been forever since I've seen that movie so I know which, who, who you mean but I don't remember her character very well I've now seen seven Mike Lee movies but I don't remember Mean Time at all so I guess I won't make a list yet of a director's ranking unless I rewatch <laughs> Mean, Time, mean Time I didn't even rate it on Letterboxd that's how little I remember about it uh Yeah, it's a pretty cool director, in my opinion. Sure is. I mean, it's definitely, yeah. definitely a um, unique way of coming at cinema, because uh, usually that's uh, more of a theater director's style, where you get people together and you know, like collaborate with the actors in that way. And when film directors usually do do stuff like that, it usually ends up being less cinematic than his movies, like. I'm always impressed that his movies have such a, uh, I don't know, interior feel to them. Like, I feel like I'm in Johnny's weird, dark, upsetting world in most of this movie, and I feel like, you know, I'm in Poppy's, like, optimistic, bright world, even when she's, like, in danger in Happy-Go-Lucky, and, like... The gentle older world of the leads in another year like he constantly manages to like have his aesthetics grow out of the central themes and characters of his films and mm-hmm. a lot of times when people just focus on the acting you get these like weird over-the-top performances and these very static <laughs> bland compositions yeah yeah that that is something that Mike Lee is actually good at too like his movies still look like movies well yeah he he manages some pretty like awesome shots and stuff like that like i in particular like the part where johnny goes over to the woman who's in the window and like him and the woman both like being seen through the window and then david is looking back across seeing brian in Mm -hmm. his little like circular window and I just like liked the framing device of that, where I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, I don't know that anybody yeah, would that... think to shoot a scene like that if they were going for a theatrical look. Of, like, it would probably just stay in that apartment with them. But the fact that you get that kind of interplay with those visuals is pretty cool. Yeah, the whole sequence before that with the with Brian is visually pretty <laughs> striking. Like they just move through these rooms yeah. all the time, and each each yeah. room kind of looks differently, and it's lit differently, and they're just like these two dudes just kind of like standing in these strange, strange empty spaces. I thought it was really effective, really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think that 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 whole sequence does a really good job of like capturing, I guess, 
that modernization, like dehumanization of architecture, where they're like moving through these rooms and they're all kind of like uniquely mm. beautiful, but they're all like empty and like brutal. And he's like, let me put my robot in the scanner thing. And yeah, yeah. And they're like, okay. There's this proof that I was here, this <laughs> scanner. Yeah. That's my job, is to go to 28 different rooms and scan this. Yeah. Just protecting space. That's one of uh, Johnny's better jokes. It's like, couldn't they train a tall chimpanzee to do it? Or a short chimpanzee with this longer gizmo? Yeah. <laughs> I also like that you can't smoke in here, but like, he keeps asking to smoke, and he's like, you can't smoke in here. <laughs> he doesn't really get mad about it until the end when he's getting mad about him and other things. He just keeps asking if you smoke. He's like, no, nope. Yeah. Can't smoke in this room. No. <laughs> what about the stairs? No. <laughs> I don't want to hear about your apocalyptic visions anymore or your smoking habits. <laughs> uh, music's really good too, in my opinion. Very yep. oppressive. Cool theme. This yeah. strings is like sound really. They're kind of like Johnny musically. They like are kind of like sweet and uh, endearing at first, and then over the course of the movie, they're so loud and so common that they become yeah. like very oppressive mm -hmm. and unsettling. You're like, I wish there was a different musical cue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cause it sounds like the kind of thing that would be cool for like a trailer to a movie. Yeah, but then like to hear it, it's over a two-hour ten movie. Two yeah, movie, you're like, ah. <laughs> I think that yep. that pretty much does it for me in terms of commentary on Naked. Get the yep. double meaning of the title. It's about sex, but it's also about nakedness. <laughs> Being naked <laughs> to the world. <clears throat> it makes sense to me that this is like generally the, of the ones I've seen, generally the most well-regarded Mike Lee film in terms of like I don't know what you would call it, the critical cloud. <laughs> mm. I don't know if it's like the same on Letterboxd or like smaller film communities, but um, just because this one is so grim and so uh, like, I guess more upfront about the reasons why you should take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. And also, David uh, Thewlis's performance is like more of a like a classic, good performance. Um, whereas, like for example, uh, Sally Hawkins is in in Happy Go Lucky, is a character who kind of verges on being sort of annoying, or would be like perceived to be annoying by people, and like she just Shitty goes people. through with it, which is more <laughs> more of an out there performance than this is. Who like you know he's basically like kind of like a, you know he's like dressed like a beat poet. Where this one funny scene, the 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 limousine driver almost like like gets lets him get into his car because he kind of looks like a, like a, like a rock star who doesn't give a shit or whatever. He's like oh yeah I could totally picture like some, whatever millionaire like singer songwriter dude who's just like doesn't give a fuck anymore. It's like getting into his limo looking exactly like that, wearing like an overcoat and what, whatever. Yeah, with um, the, this and my own private Idaho, this is like the era of 
uh, intellectual philosophizing hobos. everybody hope you're enjoying the podcast uh if so please subscribe using your podcast listening application give us a five-star rating review on itunes um you can also check out all of our content on loosecannons.net and if you enjoy that content that you have checked out you should give us money for it or to get us to make new content on patreon.com slash loose cannons we really do appreciate it um and we've been hinting about it for weeks, but I feel relatively confident that the next podcast we do is Vagabond. So, whoa! You should watch Ag- Agnes Vargas. Will it be the one Vagabond? <laughs> and we will finally discuss it. Yeah. <laughs> Basil has been yeah busy slash in New York, but since he's missed like three podcasts, it seems like he's been in New York for a month. But it's really <laughs> only like nine days. <laughs> uh, yeah. Scheduling. That's what happens when you go to New York. (laughs) Um, All right. Thank you for listening again. And uh, we will have you listen to us again sometime. Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.